Hello, and welcome back to the second episode of Ah! A Helpful Hand in History. Today we are donning our pitchforks and burning sticks in a look towards rebellions. This will be the first Tudor episode of the series, and we will be looking at the various challenges to Henry VII's power, from Lambert Simnel to Lord Lovell, and the Blackheath to Burgundy. I really hope I can simplify this complicated period into a Perkin Warbeck invasion-sized bite. On the 22nd of August, 1485, the new King Henry VII defeated Richard III at the Battle of Bosworth, but it is not right to say this marks the end of the Wars of the Roses. If we put Henry VII into the context of the time, no one would have known he was to rule into the new century and beyond. At this time, kings did not seem to stick around for very long. Henry's rule would face many challenges, and he was constantly putting down them in order to secure his dynasty. This podcast will chronologically meander through these rebellions, starting with Stafford and Lovell's rebellion. Francis, Viscount Lovell, was a loyal Yorkist, as were Humphrey and Thomas Stafford. They had sought sanctuary at Colchester Abbey after the Battle of Bosworth. In April 1486, Henry VII travelled north, and, sensing opportunity, Lovell and Stafford brothers broke their sanctuary. They quickly gained a small retinue of fighters, but triggered an equally rapid response from Henry, who gave the rebels a choice between pardon and forgiveness, or excommunication and death. This had the effect of breaking up the once defiant rebels. Lovell fled to Burgundy, and the Stafford brothers returned to sanctuary. But shortly after, this sanctuary was broken by the king's forces, who arrested the Stafford brothers despite their ancient right to sanctuary. Humphrey would be executed, but Thomas Stafford would be spared. All in all, a minor rebellion, and one that caused Henry little problems, but this is indicative of the frequent challenges he faced as king in a time of civil war. The next rebellion proved a much more stirring test, and began the rather strange theme of impersonations that occurred throughout Henry's reign. Lambert Simnel was born in Oxford. He was very young at the time, and at some point it was noticed that he had a striking resemblance to the apparently murdered Richard, son of Edward IV. However, it was known Richard was dead, so eventually he became known as the Earl of Warwick, despite the real Earl being locked up in the tower at the time. Simnel gained support from John de la Pole, the Earl of Lincoln. The rebel forces grouped in Ireland, where traditionally much support had been found for Yorkist claimants. Here, Simnel was declared Edward VI, and bolstered by two to three thousand German mercenaries from Margaret of Burgundy, amongst Lincoln's eight thousand. They set off for conquest and glory. Simnel's forces met Henry's at the Battle of Stoke on the 16th of June 1487, but they were soundly defeated. Lincoln was killed, but Simnel was spared. He would eventually find work in Henry VII's kitchens. This commonly marks the end of the Wars of the Roses, and the next rebellion I will discuss will feature no dynastic threat, but one of two tax rebellions in Henry's reign. In 1489, England was at war with France as a result of the Breton Crisis. In order to fund his expeditions into the continent, Henry needed money. Fortunately, he had a source of extraordinary income in Parliament, which served to grant the king money in times of war. Unfortunately for Henry, this involved taxation, and people did not like taxation, especially with wars they felt disaffected with. For those living in Yorkshire, they probably didn't know what a Brittany was, never mind about the war that was going on, and God forbid losing their hard-earned money for it. So when the Earl of Northumberland, Henry Percy, went to York in 1489 to collect the king's tax, it seemed not an escalation at all to make heads roll for it. The Earl of Northumberland dead, a rebellion had begun. 
but this was swiftly put down by the Earl of Surrey in the same year. One may see failure as the outcome for the rebels, but this is not entirely true. Of the £100,000 Henry was permitted to collect from the people of England by Parliament, he only dared to collect £27,000. This showed Henry that he had to be careful with future taxation and put his invasion of France at peril. The next threat to Henry's throne came in the shape of Perkin Warbeck. Perkin, another imposter, claimed to be Richard of York, but in later life he revealed he was actually from the small French town of Tournay. He first appeared in Ireland in 1491, the forever home of Yorkist claimants, where he gathered little meaningful support. By 1492, he had found himself in France at the court of Charles VIII, but was merely a bargaining chip above all in an ongoing conflict with England. After the Treaty of Etaples in November of that year, Warbeck was forced out of France and moved on to the Holy Roman Empire, where he would receive support from the Emperor Maximilian and the Dowager Duchess of Burgundy, Margaret, who remained a constant thorn in Henry's side. Henry was paranoid about the threat of invasion, and thus, beginning in 1493, he embargoed the Burgundians, citing their support of young Perkin as the raison d'etre. Furthermore, Henry expanded his use of informants and spies. Eventually, they found that William Stanley, Henry's Lord Chamberlain, was in fact a Yorkist sympathiser. Their evidence was circumstantial at best, being the fact that Stanley had £10,000 in his possession and a gold necklace with Yorkist embroidery. Anyhow, William would admit guilt, probably to save himself from execution, but this wouldn't matter. He was executed in February 1495. Before long, Henry's paranoia bore justification, as Warbeck invaded England in July 1495. However, he received no support on landing, and his paltry retinue was beaten back into the sea. Obviously a keen traveller, Warbeck next went to Scotland, in order to garner support from James IV. This was rather successful. Warbeck was given an allowance by the king and a wife in Lady Catherine Gordon, who was also James's cousin. Now a member of the family, Perkin was destined to try the Scottish tradition of bashing up with the English, and this time he wanted the throne. The invasion began in September 1496, but Warbeck quickly became disillusioned by the violence. Eventually, the invasion morphed into a border raid, which quickly packed up home after a few towns and villages had been burnt. Back in Scotland, James IV made it clear to Warbeck he wanted rid of him. He would leave Scotland in disgrace, returning back to Ireland. The main short-term impact of Warbeck's Scottish invasion was that of Henry's need to tax again. This time, it was the Cornish who felt aggrieved with the tax set on them to defend the northern border. The rebellion was initially whipped up by the local gentry leaders like Thomas Flamanck and Michael Joseph and the noble Earl of Alderley, believing a targeted ta land tax for the north served best for the conflict. Eventually, a 15,000-strong force marched in London, creating havoc along the way. They would, they would be met by the King's forces under Giles Daubeny at the Battle of Blackheath on the 17th of June 1497. It came to be a resounding victory for Henry's forces, but cemented the idea that taxation wasn't the best method of gathering income. Three months after the Cornish Rebellion, who else but Perkin Warbeck turned up on the shores of Cornwall? He promised the disaffected Cornish that he would not levy extortionate taxes in return for their support, and quickly raised a small army of possibly up to 6,000 men. However, when Perkin heard of the oncoming royal forces under Giles Daubeny, he deserted his army. He would later be captured and imprisoned before testing Henry's leniency to the point he was finally executed in 1499, along with the real Earl of Warwick, who had been sat in the tower since 1485. In the end, Perkin presented a humiliating and expensive nuisance. 
Henry is estimated to have spent £1 million in pursuing his capture throughout an eight-year period of failed invasions, impersonations and running away. Finally, our final rebel comes in the form of Edmund de la Pole, Earl of Suffolk. Originally rehabilitated in the reign of Henry VII, despite being a Yorkist, Edmund suddenly got itchy feet and fled to Burgundy. Edmund never really got started with any rebellion, for in 1506 he was delivered back to Henry as part of the terms of Intercursus Malus, a treaty between England and Burgundy. Edmund would remain in the town until 1513, where he was quietly executed by Henry VIII. All in all, the rebellions that Henry faced were never as serious as those which came at the start of his reign, in particular that of Lambert Simnels. After that point, the most threatening revolts were those of fiscal motives, like the Cornish Rebellion. Henry dealt with rebellion swiftly and effectively, enabled by his competent commanders like Giles Daubeny. Perhaps the most significant outcome of the rebellions which took place in Henry's reign was his incapacity to tax without the danger of large-scale revolt. This would remain a problem for Tudor England, and is certainly one we will pick up another time. Until then, I hope you enjoy this episode, I'm off to walk my dog, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you.